Founder Space Startup Supercharge. I'm Captain Hawk, CEO of Founder Space, the leading global startup accelerator. I'm also author of the award-winning books, Make Elephants Fly, Surviving a Startup, and The Five Horses. Uh, this book was written out of my personal passion. I was the fascinated by these and I'm just drawn to it. So researching it for me was fun, like going as deep as possible and getting as many sources as possible, compiling those and then synthesizing it in a way that anybody can understand. I didn't want to write a book that you have to be a scientist to grok. I wanted to write a book that a person could pick up and go, wow, you know, they're implanting these brain chips and monkeys right now, and they're able to do this. They're able to make the monkey, you know, the monkeys are able to control wheelchairs and drive themselves around just by thinking. A lot of people, you know, a lot of geeks might know that, but a lot of other people have no clue. And I wanted to clue them in what's happening and say, look, if they're doing this in monkeys now, and by the way, they're also doing it in humans, what do you think comes next? So we have all the pieces in place right now. And in fact, development is going on. And I call this section of the book is the first section, Mass Connectivity. In the book, I am painting a picture right now of how human beings will be connected to the internet in the future. We all know today, right now, that in a very short amount of time, all of us have become hooked on the internet. All of us carry a computer in our pocket. We can, and, if we, and if it doesn't work, if we lose connectivity, we go a little crazy. And you know, Historically speaking, it's just been just a blip of time that has totally changed the way we live and connect with each other. Well, another change is coming that is going to be even bigger, bigger than mobile, bigger than the internet. And that is when we physically connect our brains, you know, uh, which is us, directly to the internet. And we don't need to walk around with cell phones in our pocket. We don't need to have a laptop. And literally, just by thinking, we can start to do much of what we do today uh, through our other devices. Now, that, it, that is coming. Because if you look out there at the universities, at companies, they are developing this technology right now. Now, most people, they don't really hear about it, but Facebook, is putting a lot of money into this. They want basically to leapfrog Google and Microsoft and Apple and become the de facto operating system for the internet of the future. And if you think about that, you know, we use Android because, you know, Google was the first to develop, develop this platform for all phones. Apple, of course, was ahead of them for the iPhone. And we use Windows because Microsoft, you know, they won the war in developing Windows and operating system for computers. But what happens when we have brain-computer interfaces that actually allow us to interpret our thoughts in our brain and then wirelessly communicate those into the cloud? That is what I start to explore. So how do you get from just voltages, essentially measuring voltages between different points in your skull uh, with different connectors, different electrodes attached to your skull to actually interpreting what the brain is doing beneath that skull. So there are many different technologies out there. 
EEG is just one of them. And actually, it's quite a crude technology that has been around a long time, you know, close to a century. It's not a new technology. It's old. Um, and this technology gives you a kind of fuzzy picture of what's happening in the brain. It does a relatively good job of measuring things like whether you're concentrating or not concentrating. But you start to go what you're actually thinking, what you're intending to do, things like this are still beyond EEG. However, um, Elon Musk has made a big point about wanting to put chips into people's brains. He says the chips are very small, but he wants to literally drill a hole in our skull and have us insert chips. I tell you, most people would be reluctant to do this, including myself, and I'm somebody who loves new technology. Because, you know, first of all, we don't want to have anybody drill a hole in our skull, no matter how small. Secondly, it's scary to uh, put a chip in our brain that is sort of out of our control. I mean, who controls this? Who controls the access? We'd much rather something that's easy to get rid of if we don't like the experience or change our mind. Uh, there are other companies out there. For example, just today, um, Kernel announced that it is releasing these new brain helmets that are literally helmets that can, again, outperform EEG because they use laser technology. Now, they aren't small, they aren't compact, like EEG can be very compact. I've been consulting for major corporations out there. I will, they will remain nameless, but they are actually building prototypes right now of EEG devices that could literally fit on, on your glasses and like start to measure uh, your brain waves and determine things about your thinking. However, um, what Kernel does is it's a full helmet um, and it, it supposedly is much more accurate and they have actually two different types of helmets and they are literally sending those helmets out right now for testing. So this technology is coming fast and furious and the real question is not if it'll come, it's when it will come. And my prediction, you know, give us a decade and this will be mass marketed. Like these products will be out there. Will they be as good as your mobile phone? Will they be able to compete with it? Well, that remains to be seen, but eventually they will supersede it. And we really have to think carefully as a society and as individuals, what this means for us. Is this really going to benefit us or is it going to benefit other people? For example, big corporations that want to read your thoughts, that want more data on you and potentially to have more influence over your actions or governments that may want to control you, may not want you to do certain things. Who controls this power? Where does it lie? These are the questions I am really concerned about. In the book, I write about brain computer interfaces, but they're not alone. It's a whole ecosystem. So AI plays a big role in this. You know, and AI is already, I tell you, Amazon, I write about this in the book, their goal is that you never have to order another product again. Because every time you order a product, you're making a decision to buy it from Amazon or not to buy it from Amazon. But if they could just deliver that toilet paper to your front doorstep before you even think about it, before you even know you need it, Amazon is one. And they're trying to do that with AI and big data. But having a brain computer interface will give them so much more data. Think about it, right? Because again, you might uh, uh, glance at the toilet paper, see it's running low, doesn't really register. Whoop, Amazon gets an alert and that drone is on its way to your doorstep with that toilet paper. The question we have to ask with these devices 
is, and with AI in general, even without brain-computer interfaces, is they're going to become so powerful that they will be able to anticipate our needs better than we can because they'll be monitoring everything we do. And that's great, right? We never have to order a product again. We never have, you know, everything just magically appears. You know, I'm thirsty, there's a drink, whatever it is, it's just happening. I need a place to eat. Oh, you should just go to this one on the corner. We know that's the type of food you love. To much bigger decisions, like imagine about, they're gathering all the data about the job market. They're gathering all the data about different companies and their hiring and what, who they need. And they know everything about you in the workplace because of their, they're gathering data on you through the web, through the internet, potentially through your brain. Now they, they, this AI could literally play matchmaker and say, look, I know you're not thinking of a new job, but a position just opened up at this other company. I think you would be perfect for it. And I'm pretty sure you'd get hired. Do you want me to set up an interview? And you could get a 30% pay bump. You would say, absolutely. And everybody would start to enable that application where they could get more money for the next job. And companies would want it because they could poach the best employees that are the best fit. And this decision-making uh, going from you know, us making our own decisions based on our own experience to the decisions essentially being made by default for us by computers with access to massive amounts of information, including our bodily information that used to be private. It could be wonderful, but think about it. We may start to rely on these computers so much because they're so good, right? They got me that 30% that 30 pay bump in the perfect dream job. You know, I want to date somebody. I don't want to go through like 100 bad dates, you know, on Tinder or whatever it is that who, who likes to do that. They could find me the perfect match. And they could find one that, you know, we want the same things, you know, maybe get married, have two kids, blah, blah, blah. And they would do the AI and all these devices out there, these IoT devices gathering data would do such a good job at that, that we wouldn't, again, go on dates with people we might not like. Would that, is that a good thing, right? Because by definition, these major life decisions, job, marriage, you know, you name it, um, when I should have a child, you know, what we should, you know, what, how we should feed the child, everything will eventually be delegated to our machines. It doesn't feel good. So I tend to be both an optimist, half of me is super optimistic. Like I have a great life, you know, I'm so blessed to be working in technology and stuff I love, you know, and I love technology, I love gadgets. But then another side of me looks, you know, how is this going to affect society? And what type of, the question is not for me to answer, but for all, everybody to answer and ask themselves. We are on a path, right? And from the stone ages, you know, for over 100,000 years, human beings, homo sapiens, have been developing tools which have benefited us, right? It has allowed us to live longer, live healthier. Uh, you know, if you were born a cave person and you had bad eyesight, well, too bad. <laughs> like you were, you were, you know, probably going to have a very short life and you probably wouldn't be very useful to your tribe. Uh, today, we've solved so many problems and we're on the verge of this technology doing marvelous things, you know, curing cancer, curing diabetes, curing all of these, you know, what we thought were incurable diseases. I mean, if we just went back a couple hundred years ago, where if you got a scratch, it could turn to gangrene and you could lose your arm or your life, it wasn't a very pretty world. There was no penicillin. This was a brutal world that we lived in in the past. But through technology, we have made it 
a much better place. At the same time, we can see we're, we're really at a point where technology um, is going to have profound impacts on our society and on our individual freedoms that some of us may not be comfortable with. And in order to use this super powerful new tools in a way that really benefits everybody, we need to have this discussion. It's very gray. There is no black and white, right? Just like technology itself, you know, they, you know, you have nuclear, the invention of nuclear uh, fusion and fission. Um, these have great potential to make clean energy. They also have potential to destroy the world. They also have great potential for us understanding our universe and, and, and gaining all this knowledge. Everything has two sides. It's all a yin and a yang. So when we're looking at this new technology coming, the, the, question, the real concern I have is that it takes it to a whole new level. Like it amplifies all these things that are potentially negative in society. For example, we know we have racism in our society. We know it exists and people have biases that they aren't even conscious of that they're acting upon. But yes, the AI could literally take over and because it's just raw data, what people, how people think, how they view the world, how they act, those biases could then be replicated by the AI on a much larger and more systematic scale. And we have to be careful and cognizant of that. Is that a solvable problem? Yes. That, those problems are solvable. What I'm a little more concerned about are uh, much more difficult problems to solve. And I will give you one example. If we go back to mass connectivity, and if we have these brain reading devices, they don't even have to be you know, chips implanted into our brain. They can be things like kernel is developing and uh, uh, there are literally hundreds of companies developing of these. Definitely Apple's gotta be working on this because if they, they own iOS, if they wanna stay on top, they have to own BOS, the brain operating system. And I tell you, it's coming. And because it will supplant iOS. It, just like mobile is essentially supplanted Windows, right? Everybody's on their phone all the time. They're not carrying their laptop with them. This is just a natural progression. But we know right now, you know, hackers can go out there and they can uh, gather information and literally steal your identity online, right? So they can open bank accounts, take out loans, you know, do all, buy products, do nefarious things with your identity. Well, it's one thing to get hacked in today's world. They can only do so much. But imagine if you have a, two-way brain-computer interface, not one that just reads your thoughts and broadcasts them out there, but one which DARPA is working on right now and others that can actually communicate back in, right into your brain. If they have this, and they will, it's just a matter of time, uh, we, a hacker could not just steal your identity as they do today. They could steal your identity, literally who you are. They could uh, uh, basically subvert your free will and actually make you take actions that you are unaware of. And if you think I'm one of these paranoid schizophrenics running around with tin foil on my head, that is not the case because actually in the lab today, they have run experiments with brain computer interfaces where they have put a chip literally in a rat's brain. And using that chip, they could control the rat, like guide the rat through the maze, make the rat eat something, make the rat do all these things. And the rat from all their measurements was totally oblivious to this. The rat literally thought the rat was making these decisions on its own, its own free will. Yet it, they were stimulating parts of its brain to get a reaction and the rat just interpreted them as I'm doing this. So with these two-way brain communication devices, which could hit the market, 
in the not too distant future, that will be possible unless we build in safeguards. And then you have to ask yourself, well, who's guaranteeing these safeguards? Like, is it Facebook? Are they the most reliable guardian of our, uh, our in, you know, who our identities? Or can we trust them? Is it a third party? Is it open source, like a blockchain, that it's all on the blockchain? And with your body, it's one thing, right? So with that pump, well, it could cause you serious long-term health effects if, if it goes wrong, but the benefits are also uh, substantial to being able to write uh, into your body. Um, with your brain, uh, there are questions not just of your health, but who you even are. Imagine uh, that we can extract memories. Imagine that we could start to implant knowledge in you, right? Start to implant information. So it's total recall. Let's say you want to learn a language overnight. Boom, you turn on your brain-computer interface, go to bed, and it's work. It's like working. But with that great advantages comes the risk that they start to overwrite your memories, that they start to change things about you or influence you in ways that you cannot even detect. Because how do we know if a memory has been overwritten, right? Total Recall, we don't. <laughs> we wouldn't. It would be, once it's in there, it's ours. It's who we are. Um, how do we have an objective source? Do we have another copy of our memory somewhere else that we can validate it against? Well, these seem like weird science fiction things, but literally people will have to start working on building these. Because if we're going to mass deploy this, if we're going to, you know, uh, consumer, most people will trust whatever they're given. That's what most people do. But there's a lot of us who know you you have to be careful especially when you get to this degree of of allowing somebody into who you are right into the core essence which is our brain and and our body i not only go into brain computer interface there's a, a section bioconvergence where i'm talking about uh all sorts of things, you know, hackers like you, a biohacker who's actually, you know, you're hacking yourself and you've been on the forefront of that for a long time, all the way to gene editing, where we are literally going to be re-editing human beings, like to eliminate cancer, to do all these, to make people smarter. We're going to be having designer babies, DNA edited babies, and it will become a thing where we, most of us say, oh, I would never, never edit my baby, right? I, I would never do it. But trust me, if all the other kids in school were, uh, were gene edited by their parents and they were super smart, super athletic, super healthy, great looking, and your poor child <laughs> was natural, God forbid, you would, yeah, that kid would suffer. You can even say, well, America would never do that, right? We would never do that. That is an existential question. It's existential. Uh, if people are religious, it can be a religious question. Um, but you know, the norms of society change. Our expectations change. And so what I'm saying uh, in part is that who we think we should be now will not be who we think we should be in the future. And just like in uh, people you know, 500 years ago couldn't imagine us even asking these type of questions that we're discussing on this show because the technology was so far off in the future. Um, we won't be able to imagine what the next generation, the generation after that, the questions that they'll be asking. And I will tell you for certain right now that um, most of us as human beings, uh, we, who, who are we, right? What are we? we? The only answer you could ever give is that you are constantly changing. Like you aren't who you were 
uh, as a child, definitely, right? You are different than you are as a child. You can't even go back and really reimagine what it was like to be you because it, it was so different. And in the future, as this technology comes, all of society will change. And um, so the idea of gene editing your baby, to get back to that, um, may seem bizarre to people now, and they may say no. But in the future, it may just be like, a, a, you don't even think about it. You're like, of course, everybody gene edits. Like, no way. And if the U.S. as a government, you know, outlawed it, but then China or South Africa or, you know, Russia started to make their populations incredibly smart, you know, you know, many Einsteins out there, the U.S. would have to do it. So a lot of these things are going to happen whether we like it or not, because everybody, the, those who use the superior technology will be in an advantageous position over everybody else. So if one society adopts brain-computer interfaces and it dramatically increases their productivity um, and allows them capabilities that no other society has, well, other societies will, will feel like that if they don't adopt it, uh, they will be left behind. They may even not exist in the future. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you liked it, hit the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You can help us create more great content by subscribing and sharing. Also, if you want to access our online startup program, our investor network, and our entrepreneur resources, just come to founderspace.com.